Yes, he is back to run the show. Welcome into the Joshua Perry Show. This podcast is, of course, starring former Ohio State linebacker, national champion, captain, NFL player, just all-around great guy, Joshua Perry. Joshua, welcome in to the show. Outstanding to talk to you, as always. Yeah, doing it on the Tuesday. It was a little under the weather yesterday, but I'm uh, back like I never left. Glad you're feeling better. Glad you are feeling better. Um, we don't need you under the weather for too long, that's for sure, especially with the spring game this week and so much to talk about. Um, just, you know, right from the top, I want to get into players. I mean, you're so close to the program. You're around there. I mean, players that you believe are coming on this spring that might not be getting enough pub, that not enough people are talking about. Who are some players on both sides of the ball that you really feel are kind of coming of age that not enough people are talking about? Yeah, there's two guys, really, I want to kind of highlight. They're both early enrollees, but, um, you know, we talked about the wide receiver room, kind of some of the depth that was leaving the room. We've got, um, you know, three guys last year who we really counted on who will no longer be around. Uh, we all know about Chris Alave and K.J. Hill as guys who are going to be contributors, but um, one guy who's had a really outstanding spring, and he's gotten a little bit of press, but I don't think the recognition he deserves is Garrett Wilson. When you think about him, he's a highly recruited guy. Um, somebody that Ryan Day had his eye on from Jump Street, uh, kind of went down there to look at a quarterback and saw a receiver he really liked. And he's been doing a great job. And it's been said that he doesn't look like a freshman. That's one of the highest compliments you can receive. But um, he's a guy who will be able to step in day one and play right away, which is great. Glad to have him on campus this early. But he's been making some noise this spring. Um, you know, a tough thing when you get young wide receivers in, they have to learn new offense. So that means terminology, which is probably way more complicated. The playbook's definitely more complicated. Now you have these guys going out there, and they're reading coverages. So they're adjusting their route tree based off of what they see in the defense. A lot of guys didn't have to do that in high school. Um, their routes obviously have to be crisper. I know a lot of those guys in high school are able to get away with just being great athletes. And that's no longer because you're facing Big Ten defenses with some really good players. Um, once you get into out-of-conference play and then into the postseason, you'll be facing some other really good defenses as well. So – um, it's really good to see him coming along. He's going to be some added depth that will bolster a room that last year we were used to relying on, and this year we're going to have some new faces. But nonetheless, I think he's going to be a great contributor. And then the other guy is Zach Harrison, just a local dude on the other side of the ball. But um, to me, he's a guy who looked like he was going to be, I don't want to say a project, but he was going to be a little bit more developmental. Um, he's big and fast, but he hasn't filled out his frame yet. He's super tall. He's got long legs and long arms, and he's got, um, a lot of room to add some some girth to his frame. So to see him getting some meaningful snaps and some pass rush situations is big. Um, that's usually where a young guy is going to step in, just using his ability. But the hard thing for a young guy pass rushing is they don't understand how to really rush. They're used to being able to run around guys. Now they have to rely on technique. And working with Larry Johnson, he's been a guy who's picked that up rather quickly. Um, for him, the summer is going to be big. Um, just in that developmental phase of going through the offseason program once again. Uh, winter was obviously a big offseason, but the summer is going to be another one where he's going to be able to add some size and some speed in terms of his development. But um, watching him, he's going to be uh, a well-needed fixture on that D-line because you lose a guy like uh, Nick Bosa on the outside, you need to replace him with some pass rush. And I'm not saying he's going to be Nick Bosa right away, but he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to make some plays out there for us. So, it's really exciting to see him come along, and especially as somebody who grew up in the same community as me, I always always got to root for the local guys. 
No doubt about it. I've already it's low hanging fruit, but I've already given them the nickname of Sack Harrison. Yes, and that, I mean that's going to be his mo. If he's going to be a guy who can go out there and be productive in the pass rush, I think he's going to be well worth all of the praise and hype that he received coming in. And down the line, it's going to make him a lot of money. Keep that uh, Olin Tangy pipeline going. I know you guys not from the same school, but still, as you said, same area, same school district, so early same same community, I should say. Um, what do they have? Like nineteen high schools now in the Olin Tangy school district. I got, I'm losing track. I mean, Hill, I'm over here in Hilliard. We have three. They're talking about adding a fourth, and people are going crazy. I don't yeah. think they're going to, but it's like Olin Tangy. I think has like nineteen or twenty or something like that. It's yeah, crazy. So- so to actually to give a little background on that, um, Olentangy is is the sixth largest school district in the state now, I believe, uh, growing rapidly as Delaware County has been the fastest growing county in the state of Ohio for, I think, a couple of decades now. A uh, ton of kids coming through. They just opened up the fourth high school. They're adding um, six classrooms to three different elementary schools right now uh, just to accommodate the growth. And they've got a lot of projects going on in terms of new development. Um, one area in Lewis Center is actually looking at 2,200 single-family residences and 10,000 residents when it's all done. Um, so an area that I love, an area I'd like to stay in, but yeah, just rapid growth, and I'm sure we're going to see some more athletes come out of that. It's like it would be good to be in the real estate business or something if you were over there. Oh, wait, 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 <laughs> wait, you are, you are. Uh, we, we can give a, yeah, if, at, at any point, feel free to give a shout out to, to what you're doing as far as being a real estate agent. Um I want to get into what the uh, the new coaches. I get asked about the new coaches a lot, you know. And I, I'm very impressed with Jeff Halfley, but I'm not in there in the meetings and everything. And you know, I, I just I think he's going to do a great job. And I like the mix on this staff and the, with the new coaches and even the one holdover. Speaking on the defensive side of the ball with Larry Johnson, he kind of got the the old grizzled veterans, you know, kind of the grandpas with uh, with Greg Madison and Larry Johnson. And I say that with love. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad both those guys are on the staff. And then you got the young guys, you know, Jeff Halfley, uh, Al Washington, Matt Barnes. Just uh, what are you seeing? What are you hearing about this uh, new defensive coaching staff? Yeah, the way it's come together is actually fantastic. And, and the one thing a lot of people are apprehensive about Ryan Day and what kind of job he would do as a first-year head coach. And by the way, he put together his staff. I immediately knew he was going to do a hell of a job because of what you said. He has a, the mix of the experience where you've got Larry Johnson, who's – like damn near 40 years of experience in coaching football. And he's he's tutored some fantastic players throughout his career, but just some really good players here at Ohio State alone. You get Greg Madison, who was down there at Florida with Urban, did a great job coaching national championship defenses. He's had some really good players, um, been very effective in terms of scheme. And then you bring in some of the young dudes, Al Washington, who brings a lot of energy, brings a lot of knowledge of, of the game and technique and how to coach those guys. And he does a really good job in the recruiting trail. Jeff Halfley is a guy who came from the NFL. Um, people will respect him a ton in terms of the way that he coaches and connects with players, which is awesome. And Matt Barnes is a guy who we haven't been talking about a ton, but um, his knowledge of the game in terms of, um, you know, defense, but also just how he's been dedicated to special teams is big. And it's paramount. And from what I've heard, they're kind of revamping what they're doing on special teams a little bit. And specifically, um, you know, some of the punt game, they're simplifying so those guys can go out there and, and play fast. That's been one of the strong units um, during Urban Meyer's tenure in in terms of flipping the field and uh, creating an advantage in field position. I think we're going to do the exact same thing. Uh, So I'm really appreciative of what those guys are doing. And just from being at practice, you watch Greg Madison go around those drills. And, you know, he is a little long in the tooth, 
but he, he has no problem managing that defense. He's getting around there. He's getting after guys. He has some really extraordinary coaching cues in the way that he's able to relay information in just a short tidbit. It's quick and digestible for those guys, which is fantastic. Um, watching Al Washington and the energy in which he coaches those guys is fantastic. But the one thing that I do appreciate is anytime he has former players down there at practice, he invites those guys to speak to the, the unit when practice is over and talk about some of the things they experienced and share a little bit of their knowledge as well. And so incorporating former players is, is huge because at Ohio State, a lot of guys do end up coming back to Columbus and they want to be involved in the program. And they have a lot of great things to lend to, uh, you know, the, the situation going on where you have a mix of young and, and new players or you have a lot of competition. And so I do appreciate that. Um, always fun watching the D-line practice with Larry Johnson. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic the way he's able to get those guys going. And Jeff Halfley has the back end of the defense looking like they're about to have some All-American players back there too. So um, just super excited about the way things are coming together and how these guys have been practicing. And I'm, I'm guessing you're one of those former players that they have asked to talk to the team, uh, even though you're trying to be humble here. You're, you've talked to the team, I imagine. Sure. I mean, um, usually just holler at the linebackers as they're breaking down practice. Bobby Carpenter is a guy who's always down there, so he has his opportunities to speak. And even a guy like Craig Feta, who's a walk-on special, special teamer for us, um, you know, he was a very important player on a lot of the teams that we had just because of how selfless he was and the effort and energy he brought to the team playing specials. So, oh, Buckeye Cribs. I remember yeah. Buckeye Cribs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so just the opportunity for him to spend some time with players that we all know, um, share some of his experiences where those guys are all competing for spots, playing in the linebacker rotation, but it's important to have um, some of your linebackers on all of the special teams. Um, I think that just the knowledge that former players can bring and just some of the experiences that we all share is important to give to those young guys. No doubt about it. That is invaluable to hear from uh, you know people uh, like yourself that, that have been through it and, and can really tell these guys uh, can add more to what the coaches are telling them because you guys have been through it, and especially someone like yourself that you've been through it recently. You've been to the NFL. You've seen it all. So you've been to the mountain pop in college football with winning a national championship. You've been a captain. I mean, that's, that's great for the, the – um, it's great hearing that the coaches are doing that and it's great hearing that, that you guys as former players are doing that. And it's great for the current team. So I'm over here pretty giddy about that whole deal. Um, let's get into the linebackers, your, your guys. Okay, so okay, is it as simple to you, Joshua, that we know obviously Malik Harrison is going to play a lot. It sounds like Tough Borland, if he can stay healthy, he's going to play a lot. Pete Werner is going to play a lot. But also Taraja Mitchell has to play. Dallas Gann has to play a little bit. Maybe uh, Kayvon Pope has to play. Baron Browning. Just how is there going to be a deep rotation, or just is some of these guys going to be just kind of out in the cold? Just how, how do you see this shaking out at the linebacker position? Yeah, you know, this is one of those really strange situations. Um, it's so early in in the spring, not necessarily in the spring, but just in the new defense and the way things are coming together to try to make those calls. I think training camp is going to be the time to decide because. That's where a lot of the stress comes where, you know, you're, you're literally bogged down with just football all day. And, um, you know, some guys kind of rise to the top and other guys fall back. Um, but I think at the end of the day, there's going to be at least uh, Malik is going to play. He's going to start. I think he's got that locked down. But at least one of the two other linebacker spots, I foresee a rotation of sorts. And whether that's um, different defensive personnel groupings, whether that's packages for specific situations, I see – a situation where you have to find those guys getting on the field. Um, whether it's Taraja Mitchell, whether it's Dallas Gantt, those guys are going to have to find their way on the field. 
And the one thing that you've seen thus far in the spring, which is fantastic, a dude like Pete Warner, who took a lot of flack last year, is not just giving away his spot. He is fighting. He is clawing. You hear Greg Madison, when you talk about him, he says, Peter's really coming along. Peter's going to be a great player for us. And so it's really encouraging to hear that in the midst of all the competition. When you hear them talk about tough Portland, which everybody's heard, he is the leader of that linebacker room. He's a guy that they have high expectations for. And so Taraja Mitchell is not just going to go ahead and usurp the throne. He's going to have to work to get it. And so I foresee a situation where you say, all right, you know, these guys have all competed. They've all played really well. And they all have earned the opportunity to walk out there and don the scarlet and gray on game day. So we're going to see some sort of package rotation of sorts. And I'm here for it. Um, at the running back position, obviously, J.K. Dobbins is going to be the man. And if he goes over 1,000 yards this year rushing, he'll be only the second player in Ohio State history to go over 1,000 yards three times joining Archie Griffin. So that's going to be something pretty cool. And if he stays healthy, there's <laughs> it's a lock. But I want to ask you about Master Teague and Marcus Crowley, especially with Damari McCall missing spring with the calf injury, missing a lot of springs. not like he's missed everything, but uh, he's missed tons of practices. Uh, what are you seeing? What are you hearing about Master Teague and Marcus Crowley? Just what, what are your confidence level in those two? Yeah, so Master Teague is one of those guys who's just a grinder. Um, I think physically he's really well put together, but he is not necessarily the athlete that we've seen back there as some of those guys. And it's not a knock on him because he just, you know, he, he works really hard, does everything right. Um, he, I think he understands that about himself. Um, he's going to be a guy who can get some good minutes in. I think he's a tough runner. Um, I think he understands the concept and what's asked of him. Crowley's a guy who there's been a little bit of buzz around. It'll be interesting to see. I haven't really had my eyeballs on him a ton, but I think that you want to be, as they say, a pair in a spare. So you want to have your two deep locked down. You want to have another guy who's in there rotationally. So I think he can fill that spot. Um, the running back room largely is going to go through J.K. Dobbins, though. I think he's going to be a workhorse type of guy, and I think he can handle that workload. Um, last year we saw some rotation, but I think he's a guy whose body can hold up throughout Big Ten play. Uh, it's just going to be, um, you know, being smart in some of those minutes early on in the season. It's going to be finding the situations where do you keep him in? Is he a pass bro kind of guy? Um, is he going to be your third down back where you're throwing the ball to him uh, in the open field, which I think he can be. But just deciding how you're going to utilize him and what those, those snaps look like for a running back and how many touches you want to get him is going to be big. Um, and I think all of that truly is going to be predicated on how those guys step up throughout training camp, too, because at the end of the day, um, you can decide that you want to have a guy have X amount of touches. But um, if you're not truly confident in the other guys to get the job done, um, it's not going to happen like that. But I think the situation as it is right now, they're going to be able to do some rotation back there. And we're going to have a couple of good backs, at least, that are going to be able to get some good minutes in. This next question is something I ask you in some form every week here on your show. Um, but for fans that are still curious, that, that want to know, at the quarterback position is, in your opinion, is, is Justin Fields definitely the guy? Yeah, to me, he is the guy. I mean, he's getting the first team reps. Um, I think we're hearing the most buzz about him. Um, we've heard some really outrageous, outrageously good things about him in terms of what kind of player we think that he can be. Uh, but like I said, again, he's young. Um, he's learning just like everybody else. He's new to the system and new to Ohio State. So he's still earning trust in a lot of ways. But um, I think he's, he's he, he, we got him here for a reason. We have really high expectations for a reason. But that's not to say that, uh, uh, that 
you don't need to have everybody engaged in that room. So I think Matt Baldwin is going to be a guy who you still need to groom and bring along. Um, there's going to be an opportunity for him in the spring game to make some plays. And I think if he can go out there and he can show what he's he's been able to do, what we saw last year kind of in ball practice toward the end of the season out him, he's going to make this competition a little bit more interesting. But in-house, I think the thought process is we're rolling with Justin Fields until we have a reason not to. Spring game, obviously, this Saturday. Just what are you looking forward to the most? What are you going to be keeping uh, your eyes on the most this uh, Saturday? High noon at the Horseshoe. This is competition. I want to see these guys go out there and compete. I want to see uh, Taraji Mitchell go out there and command his team at linebacker. And I want to see Dallas Gant go out there and make plays. And I want to see Matt Baldwin throwing the ball around the field, too, and making plays, um, competing against Justin Fields. So, so we can have a little bit of that to talk about. Uh, I want to see what the O-line looks like because when you get into these spring games, typically they've been pass-heavy. They've been largely passing scrimmages. So uh, these guys are going to have to be in protection. The blitz patterns aren't going to be ultra-complicated, but you know when you get a, a nice speed rusher up against you and a guy who can make plays at a pass-rushing position, how are you going to block him? Are you going to be confident going out there? You're going to give up some plays. So um, those are the things I'm going to be looking out for. I think the back end of the defense is going to be another one just against some of the wide receivers and how those guys are coming along. But largely it's just, you know, how do you compete when the lights are on? I know it's more of a controlled environment and it's a little bit of a scrimmage, but I mean, there's still going to be a ton of people out there. It's still going to be on TV. Uh, You're still going to have those jitters and those butterflies. And I want to see how those guys rise to the occasion. To close the show here, I want to talk a little bit about minor league football, so to speak. Um, with the AAF recently folding, the Alliance of American Football, um, you know, we've seen this time and time again with these minor leagues folding. And we all know, and you pointed this out, you pointed this out on your chat last week on Bucknuts when somebody asked you about if you thought, if you were surprised. You said no, because there's already a developmental league for the NFL. It's called college football. And that's so true. And I've heard people parrot that same thing over the last week. Um, here's my thing, though. Why, how, in your opinion, how is the Canadian Football League if the AAF wasn't sustainable, how has the CFL been sustainable for all these years, in your opinion? Yeah, I think the CFL just has a different model and a different market, to be honest. I mean, you know, how often are we watching TSN seeing some CFL ball? Not very often, but never. I'm sure there are plenty of Canadians who end up watching that. Um, that's how they're able to sustain. Um, they've actually been a decent developmental league where you see guys come out of the CFL and they end up playing in the NFL. Um, and so I think it's a little bit different. Um, a league like the AAF, they have an uphill battle because they're competing with a bunch of different things. Not only are they competing with NFL, they're competing with March Madness. They're competing with baseball. They're competing with golf. They've got all these other things going on that happen in the springtime uh, where all eyes aren't going to be on them. Um, the, the TV revenue model is really tough for them to get eyes on and they had some help from the NFL, but it still really didn't work. Um, they don't have brand names. And that's the hard thing about it. Like nobody's trying to watch Trent Richardson run around um, the way that, I mean, Mike Bercovici, great guy. I know him, but like, who, who is that to a lot of people? Nobody really. And so I think that's hard. Um, and I think it was a little bit gimmicky. Like I think people did enjoy the transparency of having the replays talk through where you could listen into what the referees are saying. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know if anybody truly gave a damn after week one of seeing that. Um, so it's, it's really hard for them. Again, you've got college football where people are watching all the big name brands who aren't professionals yet in that realm. 
So you're competing against that as well. Uh, I think it's really hard to sustain a league like that. And personally, um, I think anybody who wants to do that moving forward is going to have to strike like a, a super crazy gimmick to make it work. Um, just kind of on the side, I want to say this because I thought it was really funny. Um, and it's not funny because guys are out of work and like, that's really sad, but just the reaction to me was a little bit funny where, um, some of the coaches from that league were like, you know, we signed contracts and we held up our end of the bargain and we expected this contract to, you know, feed our families for the rest of the year. And I'm like, damn, now you guys really know what it feels like to be an NFL player. Cause all the guys that I know, they sign contracts and they work hard and they do everything they're supposed to do. And they end up getting sent home and they can't feed their families either. So um, I think it added a taste of realness to this aspect of football for some people who didn't think that it was going to be like that. Um, sad that they can't feed their families. The guys that I'm worried about are some of the players who put their bodies on the line and they're getting their opportunities to go to OTAs in the league, but they really had no offseason. That's tough. Um, some of the support staff, um, facility managers, equipment staff, all those people who are getting paychecks now they're not. Um, I feel for them strongly, but I think just overall players are going to be able to rebound a little bit easier. I think coaches are going to be able to find their way back into the league if, if that's what they're going to do. Cause trust me, there are plenty of bad coaches in the league. It's not that hard to do. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I know the XFL talked about potentially allowing college uh, age players into their league. It'll be interesting to see if that ever happens, but it's, it's a tough model to sustain. That's a great segue. I was just about to ask you like what, Similar to what we see with the G League um, uh, with the NBA. Obviously, college basketball is the developmental league for the NBA, but the G League's been, you know, I use air quotes here, successful. I mean, it, it, you know, to a degree it has been. It's been what they've wanted it to be, and it continues to grow. Not that we sit around and watch G League games, so I don't know how successful it really is, but it seems to be serving its purpose. So if, if you're all about the players. If there's a player out there who's graduating high school, um, or maybe he – was, you know, so far behind, he's just getting his GED or d- didn't graduate high school. Let's say there's a kid out there that just cannot go to college, can't even go to play Juco ball, but he's a good football player. And he's one of those kids that's like kind of a grown manish at 18. I feel like there's, there, there's got to be like, there, there is a market, in my opinion, for a league where kids like that could go and it just wouldn't be a bunch of 18 year olds. You'd also have former college players. You'd have, you know, guys that dropped out of college, guys that maybe went to Juco for a year kind of like what you were saying with the XFL was thinking, but an avenue where kids could actually play football, get paid, um, and still develop while not going to college. You, you, th- you think there's no room for that at all, or you think maybe there could be? I think there could be. Like I said, there's going to be the same challenge as how do you sustain a revenue model uh, to be able to play to pay these people? Because uh, the first thing you got to do when you start a league like that is you got to secure your TV contracts and your sponsorships, and, and that's first things first. Um I don't, I don't know if you can do that because obviously a lot of these television networks are in bed with different conferences for college football. And then you've got NFL who's got these big contracts and the same with sponsors. So um, figuring that out is going to be big, but I think that you could get a lot of fan support behind that. Um, me as a guy who's an advocate of players, I think there would be a lot of support from just my type of person. But I think the biggest thing when you get to that is if you can get a couple of your top high school guys to decide that they would rather go and get paid playing in an XFL type situation than go to college. That'll apply pressure to the NCAA to make a decision about what they're going to do with revenue sport players, specifically football 
who decide that they're going to want to go and make money. And whether that is because there, I mean, when you look at college sports, um, football, basketball, baseball, I believe, um, I don't know what hockey's rule is, but they have to sit out a year if they want to transfer. So the first thing you would look is, okay, those are revenue sports. Maybe we just allow them to transfer, give them a little bit more freedom. Then the second thing is, okay, we give you a stipend uh, to pay for your off-campus housing. Now we've factored in um, cost of living adjustments, so you get a little extra in your check for that. But is there anything else we can do to put a little money in your pocket? Do we allow you to leverage your likeness during the off-season to do some autograph signings? Do we allow you to monetize your jersey sales as a portion of proceeds? So um, I know the way Ohio State's licensing works on jersey sales, I think 85% of it goes back to academic campus for libraries, for buildings, et cetera, alumni associations, whatever the case is, 15% of it goes back to the athletic department. So do you find a way to take that 15%? Do you make a a player pool and say, okay, um, based off of percentage of sales, you guys can have X amount of money. Um, It's going to be divvied up. I don't know how among the players, like, do you do something like that? Um, are you able to say, okay, maybe a, a ticket uh, or uh, a portion of the ticket sales for games um, we put into a pool for players, whatever the case is. But the, the best thing that could happen out of a league like that is it changes the landscape of college football to be a little bit more player friendly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.